0: Welcome to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment. The Modern B2C Fulfillment Podcast, where we discuss common fulfillment operations challenges and how to fix them. I'm Harry Draypush, CEO of Amware Fulfillment, and I'm your host today. And Amware Fulfillment is, we do scalable fulfillment every day. Our guest today is Charles London, the VP of Operations and E-Commerce at 32 Degrees, a clothing retailer that offers everyday items suitable for any wardrobe and any wallet. Charles is responsible for all aspects of marketing, operations, customer service, service, including fulfillment to consumers and wholesale channels. Full disclosure, 32 Degrees is a customer of VMware Fulfillment. Charles, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Good to be here. Well, we're happy to have you and really excited. But before we get started, maybe you can just give our listeners a short summary of your career
1: and how you ended up in your current role. So I've been with 32 Degrees for about the last 10 years. My entire career, I've worked in apparel wholesale. I started off in sales, merchandising, product development, not what I'm currently doing now. But I always had a strong number sense. Pretty early on, I started getting more involved in planning and forecasting. With 32 Degrees, my role was initially sales and planning. We didn't have a website. We had a wholesale fulfillment. So I started getting more involved in that. That kind of dipped my toes into operations. I also went and got an MBA and majoring in operations. So, you know, then when our DTC website started to take off, I kind of shifted strategies to running that. The whole gamut of buying, planning, like you said, forecasting, marketing, the whole team. My whole job has been to kind of grow the business and the team along with it
0: incredibly well suited to do what you do today. One of the main focus areas for our discussion today will be the importance of forecasting, really to achieve a successful fulfillment operation. It's a topic that doesn't get the attention it deserves. And I do want to say of the 200 odd customers that we have, nobody does forecasting better than you at 32 degrees. I had to get that in because it's so critical for us. What you do stands out. Tell us a little bit about that process, if you will.
1: I'll start with saying something that I'm going to be saying probably throughout this podcast. It really depends on what your business model is and what makes sense for your business. You know, For us, we're heavily based on high volume, low price. We're very much more a numbers before creative kind of business. And we've been that way from our wholesale side down to our D2C side. So because of that, my background of buying, planning, merchandising, forecasting operations, maybe it's rare in a startup to have that person in charge. Usually it's a creative person in charge or more of the founder. So I've kind of really taken that background and applied it to all aspects of what we do on our website. Compared to traditional brick and mortar e-commerce, they tend to treat marketing like it's a service where you know as long as you have the ROI, you can keep doing more and more business and keep throwing more and more orders at the fulfillment center without really thinking about what that means operationally. You know, it's much easier to double your marketing spend and your traffic than to double your fulfillment at a warehouse. We've gone through a lot of those challenges ourselves. A good example is we used to have a marketing channel that would bring in an extra 1,000 orders if it took off and did well and it was very unpredictable. Back a long time ago, we did about 1,000 orders a day. So doubling it randomly was very rough. And this has been back in our first year with you guys. It's hard to plan when you're randomly going to double your order volume. So, you know, one thing we did is just try to stay on top of it, having more communication. But realistically, there's just kind of no way around that with forecasting sometimes. Some forecasting is only as good as what you put into it and what you have knowledge of. The difference is like now... We have those same things happen except now our order volume has grown 10x with you so no longer has the same impact so i'd say like in the beginning a lot of it has to do with just trying to honestly just stay ahead of it don't get underwater kind of deal with the consequences but it's really been the last few years as our order volume has increased and we've gotten a better handle on all of our forecasting across the board whether it's from marketing channels whether it's for you know things like conversion traffic it's really helped us then give you a better order volume understanding of what to expect from us
0: and as you bring both of those functions together under you is probably one of the strengths in your ability to bring those two elements together. Because at Amware, we see that as a disconnect in many of our customers. Marketing is very, very disconnected from the operations people. I don't say that that's a design. It, it's probably more of an outcome. But worse than that, they're always not in lockstep. So for us, it makes it that much tougher when we get a very, very short notice. So by the way, we were all just told that there's going to be a promo in three days and it's going to be 5x your normal order volume so you guys got to get prepared for that or we see something that we're going to do something at the end of the month we're not quite sure what it is or how big it's going to be can you just give us a little bit of insight on what you're thinking is when you're dealing with amware and you're tuning up your promotions and what are the internal things that you look at and you do and then your communication method if you would
1: There's a lot of different ways to kind of look at it. So one way is if I wanted to, I could give you an order forecast and move heaven and earth to make sure that order forecast is exactly what you received, regardless of what I'm selling price products at, what marketing channels I'm running. But for us, that's not a practical solution. So there's always these uncontrollable aspects about things doing better than expected, things doing worse than expected. So it really comes down to just being really on top of it and keeping it simple and updating it constantly. We're constantly updating our forecast every single day. Your team might not see it every day, but anytime it comes without a certain threshold, we say, all right, well, let's change the forecast for the current week. All right, what about the following week? And then look at macro trends like, all right, but what about the next month? What about the next three months? What about the next three years? Because as a business is growing, it's always hard to balance that short-term change in demand versus long-term growth. We're also a very seasonal business. You guys have experienced that. Before we worked with you guys, we would have insane increases where our peak week would be almost 20X our average week. So that was just an impossible amount to increase. But even with you, it's been, originally it was 8X times increases, then it's gone to six, it's gone to four, you know, as we've grown it's really just become more easy to manage the demand because it's become a little more sustainable, a little more smooth out. That's a challenge every startup has. You know, as you're starting up, it's just so impossible to forecast what's going to even happen tomorrow sometimes. So it's a lot of it's just about communication and then just honestly just sometimes letting the realities of operations dictate what we do. You know, wow, we've done way more business than we expected. We're really underwater. Let's pull back a little bit on some of the marketing spend. Let's just not throw good money after bad if we're not going to be able to ship it on time. But it's just accepting the reality sometimes that sometimes things can be too good when it comes to operations. Thank you for the
0: outstanding job that you do. When we struggle with some of our accounts and even some of our larger accounts have a challenge on the forecasting side of the business, we, at least to somewhat manage it, look back historically and probably spend more time on historical data with many of our customers. What did they do this time last year? What did they do over the last three months? We'll always sanity check anything that we get from the customer based on past history and why would it be different? So if we do see a difference, we'll approach the customer and we'll say, hey, you know, we haven't seen this in a while. We haven't seen this last year. Is there something you're doing different that we should be aware of? and preparing for the forecast. So that's how some of what we deal with to fill in the blanks, to fill in the void for those customers that just, we're really not sure what we're going to do. We just, we have no clue. We're going by what we think marketing tells us to do. So again, for us, it's about a sanity check. Let me ask you this. I'm aware that some years back, you learned the hard way with a large volume spike that took your
1: fulfillment operator by surprise. Would you mind sharing that story for our listeners? Yeah, this is the situation that made us move to Amware. So we're a 100-year-old family-run company. Everything's been very much internal. We started off as a wholesaler. We were using the same operations of our other divisions. Then 32 Degrees got bigger. All right, we've got our own wholesale fulfillment centers. Then we started to do D2C. Oh, let's use our existing wholesale fulfillment centers to do D2C. They can do pick and pack for Macy's a week. They could totally handle our 20,000 picks a week at the time for our D2C business. But it's just understanding that it's not the same kind of business when you're doing Smaller number of SKUs. Wholesale and D2C e-commerce are so entirely different fulfillment-wise. So we were working with them. They were able to kind of get through it. It was very efficient. And then there was zero slack. They were essentially 100% utilized, working almost 24-7. And then we had Q4, where our volume increased 17x. And they just basically completely put them underwater, where we were behind three to four weeks for fulfillment, which is just like a ridiculously unacceptable amount of time. You know, I was in the warehouse every day. We were trying to bring in extra people. We were just trying to brute force it. Because at a certain point, once you get too behind... It's really hard to dig yourself out and more orders just keep piling on top and piling on top. So that was probably one of the worst things I've dealt with in the 10-year history of working at 32 degrees. I've been here since the beginning on the wholesale side, too, and I've dealt with my challenges of wholesale operational issues, whether it's supply chain, whether it's fulfillment on that side it was really the worst experience we ever had. And it really made me realize we needed to separate apart from this whole wholesale operations team. And I stopped utilizing any of our wholesale operations staff internally, stopped using their warehouses, stopped using any facilities they had, and just kind of built my own team and started working with Anwares from that point forward.
0: You mentioned that catching up is a near impossibility when you fall behind. You're absolutely correct. The reason you fell behind was because you couldn't keep up with volumes, and the only way to get ahead or catch up is to do X plus, you've got to do more volume than you weren't able to do in the first place. And that's why forecasting accurately is critical, preparing for it is critical, and staying current is critical. You mentioned something before about fine-tuning during the day that we probably don't see. There's a lot of work behind the scenes that you do. And I would imagine it's super critical during a promotion, a forecast that you have, hey, we're going to do 10,000 orders a day, And let's say you suddenly see it's not coming in at 10,000, it's coming in at 14,000 a day, which is, I'd like to
1: say it's a nice problem to have, but it is a problem. How do you deal with that? So, I mean, the first thing is that in e-commerce, what does a day even mean? What's a 24-hour period that starts midnight Eastern time? It's a 24-hour business and orders are coming through constantly from different time zones based on different marketing channels. People are going on websites throughout the day. So my first thing would be, all right, was tomorrow going to be 14 or is it going to be 10 or is it going to be six? And all right, my two-day average is actually what I wanted and I just got the timing of it wrong. Sometimes that can happen, but oftentimes if it's not that, it's like, all right, well, what am I actually doing that caused this? Is it something I was expecting that just did better? Or was it something completely unexpected? And then just try to figure out, sometimes they are one-time events. A lot of it has to do with getting outside of fulfillment, going into Google Analytics, looking at the traffic. And that's a big thing that we do here. My head of Ecom, who runs all of the marketing, he's very analytical too. And me and him together, we look at all the numbers, we tie together where everything comes from. Well, this is our traffic by channel. This is our conversion by channel. That's the number of orders. What is kind of that simple It's just not simple to forecast them correctly necessarily, but there's channels that are more predictable and there's channels that are predictable based on how much funding you put into them. So we send two emails a day, we're going to get more orders than if we send one email. If we double the funding for some Facebook ads, we're going to get more orders than if we didn't. It's not a one-to-one ratio. So it's always trying to find where that drop off is and kind of just make sure that the marketing is feeding into the orders correctly. And there's times where it's like, all right, well, yeah, we got 14,000 orders, but that costs me a bit more in ad spend than maybe I want. So let's just slow down a bit to give us time to catch up, because it's not like we're giving away the best possible sales that we could have had. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com.
0: At where we deal with many fast-growing online businesses, and they say, we're always stressing forecasting, forecasting, and it's like, Harry, I, I want to do a better job at forecasting. What advice would you give me? And my advice would be, call Charles London. But I'm not sure that that's the right advice to give every customer, although they would all benefit from it. So rather than tell 50 customers or 500 customers individually, what advice would you give to these fast-growing online businesses to do a better job
1: in forecasting? Well, I'd say maybe we can talk offline in the future, maybe go to my consultancy, which doesn't exist yet. But, you know, one day, one day, that's the future. I mean, I guess I would say, what kind of forecast are you creating and giving to your 3PL? I'd say most people, especially in startups, they probably under forecast the sales for their boss and over forecast the orders for their fulfillment center. And there's like a misalignment of, you know, you'd rather the warehouse be prepared for the worst case, high scenario, but you want your boss to under promise over deliver. So, you know, but in reality, you should be giving both of them the exact correct number. So I think it starts off with just the communication of well, what actually forecasts are you giving them? Forecasts are never perfect. There's always an aggressive scenario. There's always a conservative scenario. There's the most likely scenario. So, you know, how do you communicate that? How much impact is it on your side with fulfillment? It's having 50% more orders could be a bad thing, but also having 50% less orders can be a bad thing for staffing and for optimization and for utilization. So it comes down to being like a partnership and a communication about where's the order coming from and like, how are you actually approaching your forecasting method? Are you trying to be realistic, honest, or are you trying just to cover yourself and make sure that everyone just has CTA? You know, it is probably the
0: biggest frustration for customers and for us internally, not getting it right. I feel like I'm the caterer. And I'm catering a wedding and they think 200 people show up and I have 200 meals and 100 shows up. That's an issue. Or all the relatives that they never heard of for years show up and now there's 300 people there. That's why it's so critical for us because we want to do a good job. Falling short creates an issue having too many people creates a different issue. It creates an expense issue for someone. You generally have a bias towards simplicity. And there's a lot of software out there that people, they can sell customers. Hey, here's forecasting software. Tell us about the pros and cons of a simpler forecasting model that maybe you use versus the forecasting software that's out there
1: really depends on what kind of business you have. So I think for most businesses, most people who are doing forecasting and doing analytics, if they could do their whole job in Excel forever and never have any limitations, they probably would. Obviously, the bigger your team gets and the more layers of management, the people who are not doing the work like the, the tools because they give you better reporting, they give you better insights. But you know, the helpful point is that I'm both of those people. So I've been able to kind of get away with doing everything internally, doing everything kind of small scale. So, I mean, what it has to say is that for us, I found the simple approach makes it easier to understand why your forecasts were correct or not correct. The move going forward is towards AI and towards the like algorithm-driven results, but then you kind of have a black box where you're not sure necessarily why it's spitting something out. You're not able to kind of put in those more subtle, soft knowledges that would impact the forecast more than just historical data. But it's only as good as the data you put in. If you could put in a perfect amount of data with every single aspect, then you probably would get a good result from software. I've just found many softwares don't do that. They kind of do their own thing. They have their own approach. I actually went through the whole process with a planning tool. It was more for product planning, but from the product planning and selling, that would give us the order volume forecasts. I actually onboarded it. I went through with it and it just didn't do the things I needed to do in a way that I could understand and approach and make smart decisions on. So after going through the whole process of onboarding and paying them, I abandoned it and went back and did a new approach, taking all the things I wish their system did And building it myself on my own kind of models, which, again, is not always available for everybody. In a perfect world, I would have just had to make a custom software from scratch exactly doing what I needed. But, you know, that's cost prohibitive, especially for kind of a lot of entry level brands. But also, who's to say that what I want to do now is the same as what I want to do a year from now? And you kind of get this legacy system problem that I think a lot of companies that run on technology have that you're using a system because at the time that's what everyone thought it was. You first of all, you have to get those requirements right that, all right, this is definitely what I need and it definitely does what I want day one and how many people have that luxury of actually having the system do what they want day one 100% correctly. But then businesses change, environments change, and then all of a sudden the system you have doesn't do half the things you want anymore and then everybody's putting on Band-Aids and adding extra layers on top of it to make it work. So my approach has always been to try to keep it as simple as possible for as long as you can get away with, but understanding that there is a level where you just can't. There's a level where it just gets to be too big, where you can't keep it simple, but you're probably going to find... At that time, you have this great complicated system now and all the people actually using it are just exporting it into Excel and doing simple things with it. So you kind of come full circle now and you spent however much money on that software.
0: (laughs) I know on the warehousing side, I remember when we built the system for you and we thought, okay, this thing is going to rock and roll now for years and years. And We know Charles is saying he's going to grow, but everybody says they're going to grow 3X, 4X and not many people hit that. And so I think, at least on the warehousing side, our philosophy over the last few years with you is we have to keep relooking the system every quarter. And I know that for this year's push, full push, we're adding robotics to augment the system because we've got a couple thousand SKUs. We've got some that are in the highly automated area. We've got some that are not. And for us now to really coordinate that, we've decided to go to robotics. So it's been a great ride over the last few years. And we can write a case study, obviously, on the 3PL side of How you hang on to someone who's growing exponentially like 32 degrees has been growing. Yeah, I mean, we've actually grown 10x with you since we joined. It's been in increments and you hit your forecast virtually every year. I mean, we're astounded by it. I think the first time you gave us the forecast, we looked at each other and we thought, well, you know, maybe they're optimistic. We hear that all the time. And then we had a tiger by the tail. You guys did exactly what you said you were going to do, and you've done that over the years. 10X, first off, kudos and compliments for that. It's been an unbelievable ride. So having said that, you've grown, and I would say not only 10X, but you've grown that rapidly. Now, about talking about that growth journey and some of the fulfillment
1: challenges it's actually created? The hardest part of our entire growth has been keeping up with fulfillment. Every other aspect of what we do, we have other challenges in our supply chain and that we have very, very long lead times. So The inventory I have is the inventory I have. So, you know, I can only sell what I can sell. I can't get more quickly. So in some ways, constraints can be a blessing where it's like, all right, well, I have to sell these 10,000 pieces of this item one way or another. And it's just about what time and what price. But, you know, with fulfillment, the fulfillment aspect is just so much more complicated because how do you predict customer demand and how do you really understand what they're going to want when they're going to want it? And we do a lot of cold weather products. Apparel is a very seasonal business. Cold weather is even more seasonal. And it really has to do with like, what's the temperature in November and December versus what's the temperature in January and February. And I always say like, I've jokes, I've done cold weather even before working here. I've done it for almost 15 years. And like, I really could tell you what the temperature was, I'd be in like soybean futures. I wouldn't be selling jackets. I'd be on Wall Street making a ton of money predicting the weather and just be a millionaire at this point. That's kind of the hard challenge. It's like, how do you understand all these macro level things happening in the economy with the customer? And then at the individual level, well, they like this color and I ran out of this color. And that does affect demand. We have the problem now where we have a few strong items that bring in a lot of sales. And if those items run out, we didn't buy enough, sales drop. What's happening to us right now. And then when we get new items in that they like, they'll buy more. So it really is the challenge of just understanding the macro and the micro, because they kind of come together and you can get one right, but you're never going to get both of them right. And it's also comes down to it's hard enough to tell you what's going to happen this week or next week. And then I tell you at the end of the year and then it's like, oh, yeah, three years from now, this is going to be our volume. And we all know that number is completely BS. But, you know, we're all taking a guess. We have to make some long term decisions based on a three year forecast. And it's like, well, be a recession in two years. You know, there's all these big macro level things that just are impossible to forecast. But sometimes you have to do your best and just kind of constantly update. That's my number one takeaway is that don't just stick with the forecast and just update it constantly. If I'm updating this season, I should update next year and the year after that. You know, I shouldn't just let it be a static document that never changes. I think you may have answered my next
0: question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because you might want to expand on it. Your role extends well beyond order fulfillment operations. So what lessons have you learned about e-commerce in general that might help out our listeners?
1: So I think a lot of it is a lot of the same lessons where everything I'm saying here is 100% true for our customer service volume. How many calls are we getting? How many emails are we getting? But understanding that forecasting too. It's about buying the right products, getting the right margin. How do you spend your marketing? So the same approach of you have to find what makes your business unique because everyone hopefully has something that makes their business slightly unique because you can't reinvent the wheel with everything. So, you know, you can kind of take the normal practice, normal knowledge for certain areas, but you have to find out what are the things that are different that makes your aspects different. For example, we're a cold weather business. We have a much bigger Q4 than most people would ever appreciate or understand. So it's just kind of hammering home, that like this is the thing that makes us unique. This is why the conventional wisdom is not true. And that kind of applies to everything you do. And it's finding the partner who can not just understand that, but also reinforce that the partners you find are never going to understand your business better than you, but you want them to understand their business and you want to make sure the parts of the business they're good at are very important for what your business is good for. I'm not looking for a bespoke, you know, we're going to hand wrap every single product. We're going to make sure 100% of the products are perfectly beautiful. We're about volume and we're about efficiency. So yeah, that's why the automation totally makes sense for us and why we have totally different methods than probably a different warehouse and a different brand would have. So it's really the alignment of your priorities with your partner's priorities across the board. That could be in finding factories, fulfillment centers, e-commerce call centers, any other kind of things that you would be outsourcing, or even people you'd be hiring internally to.
0: Your career has spanned quite a bit of activity, a tremendous amount of activity, probably more than most will incur, unless they're extremely fortunate. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give a young Charles London?
1: Oof, that's a tough one because I know whatever advice I'd give me, I wouldn't be able to honestly appreciate it probably. Maybe it's going to sound like such a cliche thing, but follow your own gut on what you think. Don't let people who say they're experts tell you that they know better than you if you think that you know better because at the end of the day, you're the only one looking out for your business. All the partners at the end of the day, they're a separate business. They want you to do well, but you, know, you really have to take it face value anything you're told by anybody in this business. That's kind of been my takeaway that it took me several years of learning those lessons the hard way where I tell people, this is what we do. Yes, this is how we do it. And I'm like, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. You're not going to believe me, but this is what we do. And they're like, yeah, 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 I understand. And then it happens and we have a big mess and they didn't understand. So I've had to learn just how to take the responsibility on my own to make sure the partners really are doing it correctly.
0: So interesting. I want to hone in on that because I think you said go with what I don't remember if you said your instinct, your gut might not have been in neither but I know you to be a data-driven guy. I don't think you work on instinct per se. I don't think anybody knows their numbers as well as you do, at least from many of my customers. You certainly are at the top of people who can command all the data about their organization, their product, and what they do. Is that a fair statement?
1: So yes, but to me, data is not the end in itself. It's a means to an end, which is an informed decision. And sometimes I can look at all this data and it can be telling me overwhelmingly a certain result. I think there's something in this data that's missing that I'm just never going to capture. And it's actually going to be this other thing. If the data could tell you everything, that we'd be AI driven. Everything would just be models. If I was selling cat food, if I was selling paper towels, if I was in grocery, there's certain businesses where the data is like everything. But you know, I'm an apparel brand. I do cold weather product. It's very promotional. It's very seasonal depending on the business model you have, sometimes the data is not as important as it has to be. To me, the data is just one more thing that I focus on to then make a gut level decision with all the information I have at its disposal to me.
0: Okay, that's interesting. What advice would you give to up-and-coming operations professionals on building a successful career, obviously not in apparel, let's say, but just in
1: fulfillment operations? If you're just focusing on fulfillment operations, then it really is very much a numbers driven game, but can be much more focused on the numbers. I mean, operations by its definition is very operational. There's less marketing there's less kind of design aspects to it. I say this a lot in the business units that I have here. I have my proactive units and my reactive units. You know, the proactive units go out and create things from nothing. And if they did nothing, nothing would happen. The reactive units, well, the thing comes to them and they have to deal with it. A lot of our times, like our salespeople are the proactive in the Production people are the reactive and here. It's like my marketing people are the proactive and the operations and the warehouse are the reactive. If I didn't bring in any orders, there'd be nothing to do. So it's a lot of it's about trying to understand how those things are coming to you and then just honestly dealing with it. You're trying to look for efficiencies. You're looking for ways to improve. You're looking for cost cutting. But, you know, our warehouse is never going to create the orders for us. They're never going to generate the revenue. So, you know, it's kind of finding the balance between the things that are creating the value and the things that are working with those values to get it completed for the customer
0: interesting perspective. I agree with you as far as the operations and fulfillment side of the business. It's all data-driven. It is really all about the numbers. If I call my team in and ask them for what their opinion is, they'll all have one, and then I'll ask them what it's based on. And the example that I use is in my first warehouse operation, which wasn't going well, it was my first job. I transitioned out of regional trucking, and I went into the warehousing side of the business, and the place wasn't operating well. And we didn't measure anything. And so we had 10 people that were doing water pickers. And I had asked the supervision of the building. I said, we're going to start to measure that activity. We're going to see what people do. Take the 10 people I want as an exercise and tell me where they're going to come out, who is going to be the top picker and rank them. And I would tell you that I had five supervisors participate in that exercise and five people got it amazingly wrong. It was interesting. I never forgot the story. The individual that wound up Being the best picker over a one-month period when we started the measurement process, every supervisor had this individual downgraded to the bottom. And when I asked them why, it's, well, when you watch him, when you watch him walk to the time clock and take a break, or you watch him coming out of the lunchroom, he was slow. He wasn't the fastest. He didn't appear to be the most energetic, but he was the most industrious. He was nonstop working. And again, to a man or a woman, they got that wrong. I was fortunate that that occurred to me very early on in my career because it just reinforced to me the importance in our line of work of
1: measuring everything, when orders come in, how they flow, and it served me well. Yeah, I got one more thing I was thinking about how it relates to operations is that while operations is very data-driven, it can't be very good at forecasting a future that's unknown. If something's changing and you don't know, you can only go off the history of what you have. And like a good example, which is where I'm playing around with this more with your team is what SKUs are bought together? You know, you could do an analysis based on, oh, I have three weeks of history and these two items are bought together. But there is like a level of where, well, this is a top in black, small, and then here's the matching bottom in black, small. I don't need to do an analysis and wait. I could just tell you these two SKUs are going to be bought together because they just make sense from a more soft side of the forecasting, not from the hard numbers that you have to wait three or four weeks to get those hard numbers. So I think that's kind of the part of the forecasting too that's really important to me is getting ahead of what the data says. Because the data can only tell you so much, and especially in a very promotional, seasonal Q4 business, if you're planning something three weeks before Q4, three weeks before Black Friday, you can't wait till after Black Friday to know what was going to happen that week because that week is so crucial that you kind of only get one shot to get it right. You have to do it ahead of time. Anecdotally, I've got
0: a story now that talks to forecasting, that talks to falling behind. It was 2005. It was a 3PL located in Northeast. That was my first promotion to a COO role in the company. We onboarded a new customer. It actually happened to be a Fortune 100 customer. There was a misprint in the RFP in that the volumes that they said were monthly were actually weekly, which meant that we were getting four times more volume than we had planned for. Let's say through no one's fault of their own. However, having said that, we had fallen well far behind uh, three weeks into the startup. We had an all hands call with the customer. We had a lot of back and forth. The call went on for maybe a half hour. And at some point later in the call, it was actually okay, guys. When are we going to get current? I kind of took a step back because I inherited this team and I want to see how the team would work under a little bit of adversity. And they looked at each other. And the call was actually on a Monday, and they said we'll be current by uh, close of business Friday. And the customer said, "Okay, I'm glad to hear that." The call ended, and everybody just sat there. And I said, "How did we get to the end of day Friday to be current?" And there was silence in the room, and I said, "Okay, that was pretty much." to buy us some time, right? And they said, yeah, that was to buy us time. You know, going into the call, they didn't have the numbers they should have had. They didn't have the data. They weren't able to put together a glide path. Needless to say, when we sat down and we did the numbers, in order to get current, we would have to do four times the output that we were currently doing, which there was no way we were going to do that. And there was no way we were going to do that in a short amount, so... After some looking at data, figuring out the right way to do things, we had a very, very tough love call with the customer the following morning. So I just want to echo what you said about the data and operations. And you're right. You don't know what you're going to look at in the future. But if you at least know what your capabilities are, what your capacities are, you can handle anything. You can react to anything, at least in a semi-intelligent way and get on top of things in short order. Yeah, I agree with that. Charles, where can people go online to find out more about you and 32 Degrees?
1: You can go to 32degrees.com and you can sign up for our mailing list. We'll give you exclusive promotions and access to our weekly sales. Charles, a lot of
0: great information here, a lot of great insight. I hope our listeners were taking notes. The nice thing about a recording is they can re-listen to it, but I think there's a lot of gems in here that will help a lot of fast-growing companies. So that does it for another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the Modern B2C Fulfillment Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.